truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Wednesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We love it if you join in every now and then as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show if you're listening to the radio or podcast version of this program. So you can't see that graphic that has how to spell my name on there. D-E-A-C-E is how you can spell it. Also, we would appreciate if you are listening to us today on the podcast that you leave us one of those five-star reviews. Only if you like us. Don't lie. But if you do like us, those five-star reviews help us to find so many more people like you so we can fear God, tell the truth, make money, and also support great causes like Back to Jerusalem where they're trying to, well, smuggle's a dirty word. How about sneak in the Bible to close countries without the, the governments who hate the word of God knowing it? Is that better? That, that, I'm not, it won't fit on a T-shirt but it's probably more polite. Back to Jerusalem is based in communist China and and their mission uh, and their heart is to bring the word of God to close countries between China and Jerusalem, Iran, North Korea, Somalia, etc. How do they do that? How do they get the Bible in there? Well, they've got this small sized Bible. It's about the size of a pill. Uh, that would be more of a pill size. Uh, and no, it, it's not their version of the Bible. They're, they're, they're not you know, Jehovah's Witnesses just making up their own versions. It's the, it's the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, uh, they just put it in the form that's easier to slip it past the goalie, so to speak. They want to get 10,000 of these Bibles into these closed countries, but they need our help here at The Blaze. For just $15, each of us can give them that help. That's about the cost of you taking a loved one or a buddy out to dinner at your favorite fast food joint. That's 15 bucks to Chick-fil-A for each to get a combo. Well, how about one day instead, uh, you give that money to back to Jerusalem to bring the hope to these nations that so desperately need it. If you want more information on how you can do that, blazehelp.org is the website, blazehelp.org, or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566. That's 844-305-0566. Daniel Horowitz, our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation, will take us inside politics. At the bottom of the hour, we play buy, sell, or hold and have a truth bomb for you next hour. But first, before all that, we have to get updated on what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Hooray. Breaking New York State Senate just made history and passed the Reproductive Health Act on the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. Those people are clapping for late-term abortion in the New York State House. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo had the World Trade Center and other monuments lit up pink to celebrate the new wave of murders. The View had a little gaffe yesterday. So the school kids were blamed for being the aggressors. But then the extended footage was released that showed a group of black Israelites mocking the kids and the Native American. So many uh, people admitted they made snap judgments before these other facts came in. But is it that we just... Instantly say that's what it is based on what we see in that moment and then have to walk stuff back when it turns out we're wrong. Why is that? Why is do we keep making the same mistake? Because we're, we're desperate to get Trump out of office. <laughs> that's why. Not everybody, though. But what does that have to do? 
I think that that's the reason. I think the press jumps the gun a lot because we just we have so much circumstantial evidence against this guy that we basically are hoping that, you know, Cohen's got the goods and what have you. And so it's wishful thinking. So when you were saying all the same crap and acting the same way when Obama was president, I guess that meant that you were just so desperate to keep Trump out of office That doesn't make any sense. Nathan Phillips, the Native American at the center of the controversy, told CNN multiple times, and it was reported in numerous outlets, that he was a Vietnam War vet. While he was in the Marines, he was never deployed to Vietnam, so there's that. Nick Sandman, the student near the center of the controversy, for some reason agreed to go on NBC for an interview. Do you feel from this experience that you owe anybody an apology Do you see your own fault in any way? As far as standing there, I had every right to do so. I don't, I, my position is that I was not disrespectful to Mr. Phillips. I respect him. I'd like to talk to him. I mean, in hindsight, I wish we could have walked away. Can the story just please, please end? And finally, hey, hey, ho, ho. Build a wall and crime will fall. Hey, hey, ho, ho, build a wall and crime will fall. Hey, okay, that's what happened while we were away. We're going to talk more on the roundtable today uh, about Nick Sandman's uh, interview that should have never happened. And I debated making this point publicly before he gave the interview. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to resolve not to be so preemptively negative despite the mounting evidence that hey hey ho ho that's okay <laughs> all right um but uh, right now i'm looking at about seven emails in my inbox where where's the hope days so i'm like okay yeah, yeah so um it ended up going pretty much exactly like uh, i thought it was going and it parents should have never let it happen to begin with, but we'll talk about that on the uh, Blaze Roundtable a little bit later on today for our Blaze subscribers, because there's plenty else in Aaron's montage today. I mean, we could do whole shows on every one of these topics. Um, let's start with the view and the, and what Joy Behar said there. You know, the definition of a gaffe is when a politician opens their mouths and the uh, unvarnished truth comes out. At least that's our definition here on the show. But that wasn't a gaffe. I mean, Behar was, I mean, she went on to extrapolate her point and credit to her for her almost honesty. What do I mean by almost honesty? Well, everything she said about what motivates people like her in her profession is true. It's just not the whole truth. We continue to want to live by this fanciful lie that Everything here was great. Everybody got along. Everybody accommodated one another's differences. And then this con man from Trump Tower came down an escalator one day and just blew this whole pox Americana up. And now it's never been more divisive. It's never been more heated uh, than it is right now. This lie is not just perpetuated on the left, but it is perpetuated almost culture-wide. 
except for some segments of what I would call now, I guess, discerning conservative media as opposed to click conservative media. Um, that's not true. Everything they're doing now, uh, let me say this again. The cake has not changed. Trump derangement syndrome is the same cake as Bush derangement syndrome. It is the same cake as Palin derangement syndrome. It's the same cake. The same thing being done to the Coventry Catholic boys. I mean, when, when, when we buried George Herbert Walker Bush a few weeks ago, the, the story about him not knowing how a supermarket scanner works was resurrected. That entire story is not true. It was passed along to a, a guy who's a pool reporter from, I think it was the San Francisco Examiner at the time, who didn't even witness the event and just wrote it for the paper and it got into the Associated Press. And it's the stuff of, it's the Chris Christie McNugget, Midnight McNugget Run meme. It's their version of it. They want it to be true. It, the problem is, it's just, it's not. It, it never happened. Okay. Uh, this is not, this isn't any different. What they did to Brett Kavanaugh really is nothing compared as terrible and, and as awful as that was, and that they did it with the flimsiest lack of evidence imaginable so that all the evidence they presented blew up their actual case. It's just most of you watching me right now don't remember or weren't here and had jobs and we didn't have 17 cable news channels and YouTube and, and you know, the Blaze and Young Turks and all these people covering it all the time. Uh, go back and look at what was attempted to be done to Clarence Thomas. Look at the term "bort." We borked this nominee. That term's third, over 30 years old. That's, that's from 85, 86 when Reagan nominated Robert Bork for the Supreme Court. Aaron, where were you in 1985? I was negative eight years old. Yeah, yeah. You're waiting for Bowling for Soup to come out with that 1985 song, Yeah, right? mm-hmm. Yeah, 1985, Todd and I were watching Back to the Future in theaters on its first run. All right. I hadn't shaved yet. You had you shaved yet? At uh, you probably have. Looking at you right now, you were you were <laughs> shaving in eighty one. Yeah, did not. I, I barely shave in two thousand and five, let alone eighty five. Okay. I mean, this is not new, folks. It's getting, as Todd likes to say, quoting the great prophets at Spinal Tap. It's getting dialed up, but the fundamentals of this have not changed. It's just getting zanier and crazier. But what Joy Behar is saying is true about this moment. But it is not true about the bigger picture. There's, this is not new. It's not new at all. And if it was anyone else with an R after their name, no matter how much they sell us out, they'd be doing all the same things. It just might be with a different tone. It might be a harsher or a less condemning one. It might be with a different style, but the fundamentals of the act of the other side would be the same because the end, because the mission they have is the same. The deconstruction of original Americana in order to replace it with a alternative view of human nature and history. That's what this is. It is a cultural hijacking that they feel totally and morally justified engaging in. And that's why they can call you any name. They can make up any lie. They can rush to any judgment. They can utilize any brutal tactic whatsoever. Saul Alinsky, when he used to do talks to community organizers about rules for radicals, he used to ask them, why do we organize? 
And he'd get answers back like, uh, to make the world a better place, for social justice. And he'd look at him and say, wrong for power. Sololinsky dedicated his book to who? A guy whose most famous line in history was, I want to be like God. I want to be like the Most High, whose sole motivation is also power. That's what's driving this. That's the driving force behind it. And that goes right back to the story that Aaron Lee let off his montage with. See, we're, I'm going to start connecting more dots for you. I was talking to some people at a dinner I was at last night. Uh, the folks that did the Unplanned movie, Abby Johnson, the Planned Parenthood whistleblower, uh, the people that wrote and produced the film were here to show it to me and some of my friends last night. And uh, this film's going to be a neutron bomb. When I visited the set eight months ago, they were really debating, you know, and some of Abby's work is pretty graphic about the things she did and the things she saw. She participated in the execution of 22,000 children by her own admission. This is the, the, you know, the guilt that she's carried with her since leaving. And they were really, you know, debating internally and with some of their other supporters around the movie, how much to tell the truth about what's really going on in that clinic. And I'll just tell you, having watched the film last night, they go there. And they go there more than I thought they were going to go there. And it's not gratuitous. It is uncomfortable. It, it, it's, it, you cannot unsee it. Um, it's, uh, it's unsettling. And, and the way the, the doctor who's engaging in these procedures, it's just casual. The nurse, just casual as they are conducting an execution. And this plays out several times in the film. It's evil. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start connecting more dots along these lines, I've decided, based on a conversation I had with some of the folks that were here last night. Because what I've really wrestled with throughout the course of my career is being when really blunt, I'll have Paul's words to Timothy in the New Testament thrown at me to gently rebuke. And I've struggled with this for many years because the same Paul that wrote those words also was so fed up with the heresies that he was confronting in his ministry that he wrote to, in his letter to the Philippians. He used the Greek slang word for poop to describe his personal feelings on uh, false religion. This was not a word used in polite company. It would probably be the, uh, similar to us using the S word for excrement in, in, in our day and age. This is the same Paul who, when he is confronted by people who think that they can live any lives they want and reject God in any way they want, and as long as they circumcise the foreskins of their penises, God will uh, uh, say that they can escape hell. And he, he says to them in his letter to these people, he tells them, if you love circumcision so much, just cut your whole penises off then, and you'll be even holier. Does that sound like a gentle rebuke to you? No. no. I applaud it. Uh, no. Then in the book of Acts, St. Paul who urges his scion Timothy to, uh, to gently rebuke comes upon a sorcerer 
who is representing the dominant theological pagan view of the culture he is attempting to bring the gospel to. And in front of, uh, and in front of the public, he points at him and says, you're a son of the devil. That, is that gentle? Nope. That doesn't sound gentle. Not very sensitive. It's not. You read the New Testament, and when it's, it's interesting. When Jesus speaks interpersonally, like to the woman in the well who's, in, who's engaged in deep sin, the mercy pours through the pages when you read that exchange. But then when he goes to the place where the ide- arena of ideas is exchanged, he literally points at the false religious teachers and says, hey, in case you guys are wondering, I'm talking about these dudes, the, those guys right there, points right at them, singles them out. These are the broods of vipers right here. This is the yeast. These people are going to take you straight to hell if you listen to them. Total frauds. That's why they wanted to kill him. So I've, I've, I've struggled with this constantly throughout my career because here's the thing. I've, I've struggled with whether I use these examples to go too far, to justify me going too far. And, and, and we were talking about this last night at this dinner I was at, and, and, and this is where we noticed there was a pattern where direct ministry is taking place. See, when when Paul gives that charge to Timothy, he is establishing Timothy as the leader of a local congregation in a church. He's to be a shepherd to watch over a tender, innocent flock of sheep who need mercy. In that context, that is the charge that is given. And and Paul gives a similar charge to fathers. Don't exasperate your children. Don't, Don't drive them away. In the arena of ideas, though, on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the spiritual battlefield where the lines are clearly drawn, and it is pass-fail, it is light-dark, it is good-evil, there isn't a, eh, there isn't a, well, we graded this one on the curve. There isn't a, eh, you know, B-minus ain't bad. No, it is heaven or hell. And in these circumstances, folks better come correct. The level of communication, the level of rancor, the level of confrontation, the level of provocative directness, as you again like to say, it it goes right by 11. It goes to thermonuclear, like that. And that's really more of the arena we're in. We're not pastors. This isn't a pulpit. In the, in the, it's a bully pulpit, but it's not a pulpit in the sense I don't have any kind of pastoral charge. I don't have a pastoral calling. Do you? Broadly, no. But specifically, you show when letter writers come in, ask for your advice. You very much show that level of meekness when it, when it is that specific But I mean, as an, I'm not an officer but of, broadly, of a congregation no. of a broadly, church no. or a diocese. No. We, we have, we have maybe some, and this isn't a, you know, don't send me your nitpicky and about the priesthood of every believer. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the specific charge of church leadership. Nobody here has that. If we did, then we would probably be off doing that. So we're here in the public witness and arena of ideas. We are here to confront the sorcerer of acts. That's what we're doing. So that's, that's my disclaimer for what I'm about to say next. Every one of you that applauded that yesterday in the state of New York, that voted for that, you need to know there's a hell. And if you continue to engage in and applaud such evil, 
they said yesterday that you can kill a kid really until it comes out of the birth canal is really what New York State said yesterday. This meek, mild Jesus, sage hippie of antiquity y'all love to take out of context, once said it would be better for a man to have a thousand pound stone tied around his neck and thrown out into the open sea where he will drown if he causes any of these little ones, these innocent ones to stumble, to be harmed, to have evil done to them or, or provokes them to do evil themselves, corrupts their innocence. It would be better for that person to have a thousand pound stone tied around his neck and thrown out into the deep sea to drown than it will be for him on the day of judgment when he comes face to face with me. That message is for every single one of you that voted for this in New York yesterday and all of you that applauded it. You're doing evil. I don't say this to um, condemn you, but to warn you, you are heaping condemnation upon yourselves. That applause, that applause was once heard in a place called Ben Hinnom. And in a place called Ben Hinnom, the Jews went down to this valley and did what prophets going back to Moses warned them never to do. And that was to sacrifice their children to false gods. In this case, a god called Moloch. They would go down there and throw their babies into the fire. And there were many, many transgressions against God that he forgave the Jewish people or punished them for a time and then would relent. But when they had crossed this line, that led to their ultimate judgment, the Babylonian captivity, the disbursement of the Jewish people. The end of the, the original temple era. era. The, the Ark of the Covenant lost to history after this sequence of events. Years later, when Jesus comes on the scene, and under now Roman control, and many of the Jewish people had returned to the Holy Land after hundreds of years of captivity and disbursement, that valley of Ben of Hinnom was known as Gehenna, located just outside the city walls of Jerusalem. Gehenna is where they would go and dump their trash and their waste, and they would burn it out there in this valley. And one of the reasons, according to local legend at the time, that they did it out there is that this land was forsaken because this is where they had cast their children, they had sacrificed their babies, their innocence, to the pagan spirit of the age. And so, since the land is forsaken, it seems like a good place for a refuse dump. When Jesus is describing the fires of hell in the New Testament, do you know what word he often uses? Gehenna. He describes the fires of hell in the context of the fires burning of human waste and trash where the Israelite people once burned their children to demons. That's your hippie, social justice warrior. I validate everybody where they are and tiptoe through the tulips of Galilee, Savior, hippie Savior, Jesus doing that. We are past the point of political debating people that applaud things like this. And maybe I'm pushing this audience to a place that's just not capable of going. So be it. I, I just, I can't stand here, watch that occur. And 
and pretend as if the normal political discourse. And this is why we need to defund Planned Parenthood. I, I just, I can't, guys. I can't. I'm tired, tired of firing spitballs at hell. I'm tired of it. Particularly as it grows more brazen, more out in the open. Yesterday, a guy who, uh, a prominent filmmaker, who today there's a massive expose about him, allegedly molesting boys and practicing pederasty to recruit them into homosexuality for years. He got nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture yesterday. I I know this isn't, I'm sorry for the management here. I I am. I know this is not the most marketable message. I know that it's not. And and maybe you need to find someone else that can give you the clicky stuff we need. You know, I I just, I, I can't sit here and pretend that the typical conservative talking points have any hope to counter what's in the video of that montage where people stand up and applaud the murder of innocence right up to the point the head comes out of the birth canal and then they take quintessential American landmarks and, and, and use them as the symbols to celebrate revel in their evil I wish I could tell you that you know, if we just defunded Planned Parenthood and if we, if, we, if we deregulated and had more economic growth and cut more taxes, that, you know, this... I, nah. So the devil is at pitchfork and, and unit, unitard stage now, the brazenness. I suppose we can come back with another Milton Friedman essay, something Reagan said in 83... And those things are great. They've inspired me and stuff. They just have absolutely no shot. No shot. Against this level of evil. None. So, if the, if the evil we're up against is going to be more pronounced in upping the ante and the tactics it's going to use, to me, I think we kind of have to do the same. It's just the tactics most of us think we need to do is, is put our children on television to be interviewed by Savannah Guthrie to get clickbaited to death. No, no, and no. No. Those, those kids shouldn't be condemned for wearing MAGA hats to the March for Life, but 20 billion MAGA hats ain't going to save you from the evil we're up against on any level whatsoever. So I have to make a choice now, which is do I just come in here and just, you know, on some level, do I do what Joey Behar does? I mean, the conservative talking points I would give you are true. They're just not sufficient. What Joy Behar said is true. It just doesn't sufficiently explain what's truly motivating people like her. It's not Donald Trump. It's their own base desires for craven control over people like you and me. That's what's motivating them. Trump's just the excuse they rationalize and give themselves to behave this way. Should I be the inverse or the reverse of, of Joy Behar, doing the same thing from our point of view, and pretend that the latest clickbaity stuff, and if we just defund Planned Parenthood and get better Republicans and primary, I, I can't do it. So what we're going to have to decide here is whether we can, we can tell you the real truth in a way that makes this show entertaining on some level or not, because I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to lie to you. 
not not when the 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 reckoning is at hand here gentlemen your thoughts i've been spending the last five days trying to communicate the very same thing the lack of sufficiency of our side's approach to fighting the battles of this age this is an important monologue as uh you've ever done uh steve i uh I thank you for it. Uh, I just, it, it, within the context of the story that won't go away, uh, it, you know how little, if at all, the name of Jesus has been brought up within the context of Covington Catholic? It, you can't find it anywhere. How is that possible? That's not good enough. No, that's, you're, bringing, you're not even bringing a knife to a gunfight, brother. You brought a sport to the OK Corral. They're out here with howitzers just laying down ordnance, and you're out there saying, point of order, point of order. Exactly. <laughs> While your body parts are being blown up, ridden with bullet holes. That's, that's what's going on right now. Well, you have, many of you have, I'm sure, identity theft protection. You should. It's a good uh, idea in this day and age, forewarned is forearmed. But even if there's a major data breach at a company like uh, what happened right before Christmas with the Marriott Corporation uh, through their Starwood hotel line, 500 million people had their identities uh, stolen. So even if you are one of those people, you have identity theft. And so you're like, hey, uh, they're going to be on it. They've helped me in the past. What you may not realize, though, is the information that they get from that data breach, even if they can't specifically steal your identity, uh, what they can use is is some of the information in there to still identify with you uh, on a secondary level. For example, uh, the most valuable asset most Americans will ever acquire in their lifetimes is if they get the chance to own their own home, particularly the equity in that home. And more and more now we're seeing home titles being targeted by thieves who want to then liquidate that uh, equity in your investment for themselves so it's not there when you go to liquidate it. And they can take information like what they just took uh, from the Marriott Corporation. Even if they can't steal your identity, they may have the last four digits of your social, a checking account number, uh, a middle initial, uh, a maiden name, uh, you know, a, a key answer on a password question. You know, the kinds of things that when you identify to verify yourself online, that you put in there to protect your identity as secondary verification, they may now have some of that information. So when they go to your county assessor or recorder's site and want to claim, hey, I'm you, can I get a, get a good look at that title or, or get a copy of it? They may have an easier shot at taking away the equity in your home. You don't want to let that happen to you. Home title lock will do what identity theft protection can't do. It'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title to protect your most valuable asset. And given the thousands or maybe hundreds of thousands of dollars that investment could eventually be worth, I think a a few pennies a day. Uh, is probably worth it to protect that investment. And you can find out right now if your home's title's already been targeted or if it is vulnerable. They'll give you a free title scan and report. They normally charge about 100 bucks uh, for these. But if you're a part of our family here at The Blaze, they'll give it to you for free today. If you go to HomeTitleLock.com, that's HomeTitleLock.com. Well, let's go to our weekly prophet of woe and lamentation. Uh, Daniel Horowitz is here from Conservative Review and The Blaze to take us inside politics. Daniel, good to see you. And uh, from what I can tell, in my inbox this morning in my Twitter feed, you are bringing the woe and the lamentation. You are you are warning that danger lies ahead, Will Robinson, in the shutdown fight. Give us the details. Well, Steve, at least we have a warning. I mean, at least this took 30 days to cave. 
Uh, look, the bottom line is you and I both know there are two truisms about 80 percent of elected Republicans. Number one is they are scared of a shutdown more than your grandmother is scared of a mouse in, in, in her home. Number two, they love amnesty and they love it even without any deal or exchange for border security. So once Trump gave them the kosher stamp of approval, so to speak, to now vote for an amnesty bill, and that's what he is proposing. Now, it does have some other things in there that the Democrats ultimately dislike enough that they're not going to vote for it and they're not going to deal with it. But once you allow them to so-called break their legislative virginity on voting for amnesty, Steve, they're not going to stop with that. And, and they're going to run away either with amnesty or this will just lead them to um, to j just reopen the government for nothing, nothing in exchange. McConnell's voting on two bills on Thursday. Number one, Trump's amnesty deal in exchange for border funding. And then that's going to be voted down. And then this is this is, is the three year extension for the dreamer DACA kids. Right. In exchange for wall funding plus, that Trump introduced over the weekend. That's the that's the that's the first deal they're going to vote on. You're referring that's to the correct? first deal. Okay. It also includes three hundred thousand amnesty for another three hundred thousand illegals that illegally um, took advantage of this temporary protected status, which statutorily is not designed for for illegals. Um, and then the second vote is a Democrat bill just straight up just to, you know, continuing resolution to fund all of government without certainly any border funding until February 8th. And the thing with that that really scares me is McConnell didn't have to offer a vote on that. Mm -hmm. If he's going to leave that vote out, how many Republicans do you think are do you think are going to say, "Wait a minute. I'm not I'm not capitulating. This is just 3 weeks will allow us to stop the bleeding with the government shutdown, we reopen it and then we could renegotiate." I think they could possibly get to 60. That would mean they have to get 13 Republicans. But even if they don't, they'll get pretty close to it. And that's going to build momentum for the Democrat position. Mm. What did you think of Trump's tweet uh, talking about uh, a, a, a large amnesty for 11 million illegals would be part of a broader immigration reform? What did you think of that tweet and what you believe, not what you think uh, the outcome of that sort of messaging w would eventually be. What do you believe the president was trying to convey with that messaging in that tweet? I don't know, Steve, because he's been doing this for two years where he negotiates against himself publicly. It's, there's nothing new about that. He's been talking about dreamers. And, and I, By the way, I don't know either. That's why I asked you. You're usually yeah, smarter no, than me. I, so I, I was I hoping know. you might help me. I don't know. I think <laughs> okay. that's just the way he rolls. He kind of talks out loud. Um, I was hoping that wasn't the answer, but go ahead. Yes. No, no. The, 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 look, there's no 4D chess to this because because the reality is th th this is what bothers me. Even if you agree or believe that Trump has some master plan, that could only work if every Republican were doing that. Right. The problem when you offer amnesty, albeit you have a certain strategic intent in what you're doing that ain't going to be where where, where the ship is going to go. Okay, Republicans are going to steer it to a different direction. Now, so long as he holds the line and says, no, there's no amnesty, and in fact, we're going to force a vote on enforcement, on interior enforcement. Um, I'm going to start threatening to build up the military at our border, which will enable me to build a lot of the infrastructure I want to do anyway with defense funding. 
Um, another idea I put forth is he should say, I'm finally going to follow statute on immigration and not a district judge. And you know what? I'm going to terminate that stupid DACA, which is illegal. That would really start leveraging the Democrats. But just to say, oh, could you please give me some am- for some border funding and I'll give you this amnesty? That ain't going anywhere. And like I said, Republicans are just going to pocket the amnesty. And, and uh, you know, Jared Kushner is already pushing for a more permanent amnesty deal. So the the thing that's floated today and I don't know, again, again, we don't we haven't we don't believe in commenting on anonymous uh, things that either are coming from or about this White House, because so many sides in this are lying all the time. They're just, we don't know what's floated out there and they might even be true. And then when there's a backlash, say, well, fake news, we never meant it. Right. So we don't know. But let's say that there is merit to Jared Kushner pushing uh, this green card proposal of just granting 700,000 green cards uh, to all of these uh, DACA dreamers et et al. Uh, Your views of that and and what would be right or wrong about that as a potential fix to this? Sure. So it's like saying what's wrong with taking a blowtorch to put out a fire. I mean, I'm very serious about this. I'm not saying this in an exasperated tone, just strategically It's the same difference, the same difference between just opening up the government and getting nothing versus doing amnesty is the same difference between throwing away the ball when you think you're going to get sacked versus tossing an an interception or forcing a fumble. Right. It's obvious. Um, Right now, there's a status quo. We don't have amnesty for illegals. We're not going backwards. I mean, there's judicial amnesty, but um, we and, and we don't have the border wall funding. I think to get notional border funding for at most 234 miles in exchange for a permanent amnesty that will engender the greatest wave and rush at our border we have ever seen because it's going to take a while to even build that that border wall there is no way it is worth that trade it it just isn't um i'd rather live to fight another day as we have successfully blocked this um you know going on 13 years of my career ever since 2006 so, I mean, nothing is worth it unless you get real substantial changes to the laws, to the courts, to chain migration, things like that. So I have a column out for a conservative review today that, that kind of further extrapolates what you and I were discussing and maybe even slightly disagreed on la- that, I, that I said last week. And now a week later, I'm, I'm, I even more strongly hold this position. I, I think whatever is – whatever whatever in the conversation you and I just had – is why whatever the the solution is to ultimately end this shutdown if if shovels aren't hitting uh to build a fence along the Rio Grande real quick after that they're going to be used to bury Trump politically in a shallow grave instead and here's why because the reality is the wall in the minds of most american voters is the only thing that Trump could get that they could tangibly see was worth this gambit all along if all you get uh, is uh, the green card solution, whether it's a good or bad solution, we had to shut the government down for a month. We had to, you know, we had to have crying TSA agents. We had to tell Coast Guard officers they couldn't get a check. You mean all the sob stories we've heard? We did this for a month to get, so that you could have probably gotten a deal you could have gotten all along. I mean, for him to walk away from this without something that shows it was worth it. 
to me, it feeds the narrative. He's an egotist. He's a con man, narcissist. He's just randomly doing things. He can't handle the presidency. He's not up to the job. It feeds all of the negative uh, narratives out there that drive his personal unfavorable ratings. He needs to come out of this with an accomplishment. And really the only accomplishment that'll be easily definable to most people because it's the one he's been talking the most about since he came down that escalator in 2015 is the building of a wall. Anything short of that, it, to me, it looks it's it's going to be a loss in the minds of most voters, and the worst kind of loss. It'll look like Trump just did this on a whim because Rush Limbaugh got pissed at him and had no plan, and and just you know shafted a whole bunch of people from their government checks and got nothing in return. That will be politically devastating. Period. So, Steve, I don't disagree that it will be politically devastating. It's obvious, of course. I mean, this is why we're trying to walk him off the ledge. But I just think that in terms of the core base deserting him, um, I, I just don't think that's going to happen. The reason is because there's no switch that you could flip that a 30-foot wall from Brownsville to, to San Diego or even less than that could just get erected overnight. It's, it's more notional than that. It's more subtle. It's more intangible. And my fear is that he will be able to – assuming he agrees to amnesty, obviously he would only do that if he got the $5.7 billion. But you and I both know that $5.7 billion is nonsense. Mm -hmm. But does everyone know that? Will Fox, Drudge – and Rush, but he's already got your, he's got all those your, voters. He's got all those voters. He needs 70 million voters in 2012. Oh, so then we're on the same. I yes. mean, Steve, th yeah. then we're saying the same point. Okay. Of course, it will be devastating to him. I think exactly what you're saying, because the American people will see nothing's going to end. And, and he, here's the thing. What people don't realize is that every month we are setting records with family units crossing the border. What, pe what, what, what you need to understand is the worst mix you could have at the border is a gradual construction of a partial wall while codifying a new amnesty without any policy changes to get rid of the existing magnets with Flores, UACs, and, and, and family units. So what's going to happen is you're basically telling people, all right, here's the deal. If you come now, there is going to be a bigger amnesty. But, you know, the longer you wait, it might be harder to get in. Mm -hmm. That's toxic. You're going to see headlines from now until the presidential election of a border search. So people see you shut down the government. Um, you got you, 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 you did amnesty, which is going to take everyone off, really, um, including those that claim in polling that they want it. You'll see that they don't. And then you have a border surge. that I mean, that is the problem why we have been warning about this partial wall for amnesty of any sorts. Um, I cannot agree enough. I'm just telling you. That you said in your book, Drudge, Rush, mm -hmm. and Fox yep. control a substantial part of the base. Yep. I think they will find a way to say, "Look, you no know, doubt. I have no doubt you know, about that. This is a, this, this is the best he could do." And that'll be a lot of voters, about 35, 40 million voters. The next twenty-five or so million voters he's going to need are going to be heavily alienated. By if if the end game is we went through this for an entire month and got and 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 you got nothing out of it, why? Did you, this this is it's read my lips. It's Jimmy Carter's uh, midnight uh, attempt to rescue the hostages with an ill planned military strike. That was just the metaphor for his entire presidency. Uh, he he has to come out of this with a win. And um and 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 I don't I don't know how many people around him. You would know that better than me. 
I don't know how many people around him. I don't know if your old friend Stephen Miller is really influential. I don't know. I'm asking. I, I'm guessing he probably understands this. You know, um, I, 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 I doubt, uh, you know, Jared, uh, you know, let's have a seven state solution. Uh, Kushner gets it, you know, so I think that's. I don't I don't know I don't even know that he fully understands it because I think if he fully understood that he probably wouldn't throw out in a tweet over the weekend hey if you get we'll do an even bigger amnesty later that I cuz I'll tell you how I took it I took it as a sign of weakness I I took it as either a he doesn't know what he's doing or b he is kind of signaling to them you know if you give me this win now so I can get out of this man I will you know uh, I, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, open up the floodgates here on a comprehensive plan after, you know, uh, after I'm out, you know, I'm no longer taking heat from my base. That's kind of how I took it. Steve, this is the problem with every issue. When this era and all of its happenings are jotted down in the history books and we understand why it failed, it will all be because the people who had influence over this president refused to call out Jared Kushner. I mean, that's what it is. You ask how many people around him get it. None of them do. Mick Mulvaney is chief of staff. He's good on some things, but he's never seen an amnesty he didn't love. Right. Kirsten Nielsen is DHS secretary. I mean, dude, just yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, and Jared Kushner is the jack of all trades now. I mean, this man, he's an expert on everything. He knows all the politics. He negotiates. I mean, everything there. There's nobody there that gets it that understands this issue from a policy perspective, everything that Trump could do, they say, no, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Um, did you ever think of this? When the court said, Mr. Trump, a lower court said, it is illegal to follow statute. You must illegally issue social security cards to illegal aliens pursuant to Obama's violation of law. That was the junction in this 100-year battle over judicial supremacy when Trump could have finally said, look, statute is telling me I must deport them. Mm -hmm. You are telling me I must give them Social Security cards. I must follow statute, right? That would have triggered – that was his entire leverage over the Democrats. Right Now the courts and us countenancing their supremacy has allowed the Democrats to rest easy knowing the courts have codified DACA for them anyway – so there's no reason for them to deal. That was the leverage point. But everyone around him said you can never push back against the courts. Don't worry. The Supreme Court, this is absurd. The Supreme Court will, will overturn it. Now the Supreme Court is making it clear they will not touch it until Trump acts. Mm -hmm. So there you go. I mean, this is the problem. Daniel Horowitz, our good friend, uh, even when he brings us, as he so often does, uh, the bearer of bad news, our guest here on The Blaze and Conservative Review. Good to see you, brother. Thanks for joining us here today. Yeah. Well, if you like what you hear from, uh, from Daniel Horowitz, um, because he's a guy willing to take a stand, we like to support people and give and promote people that take a stand. One of the toughest stands you can take is against your own family. Ms. Victoria Hearst is doing that right now. She's descended from William Randolph Hearst, one of the great tycoons uh, in American history, great success stories in American history. The problem is her family's company, one of their prized uh, properties is Cosmopolitan Magazine. And right now, in her view, they're promoting pornography. I take her word for it because I'm, I'm 45 years old guy. I don't, 
I'm not their target demo, but given some of the stuff I've seen on the cover of Cosmo at the magazine bookshelves, I kind of think she might know what she's talking about. So she doesn't want the magazine censored, anything like that. She's just simply asking for a reasonable alternative for her family. And that is, hey, if you want to put more adult material in the magazine, then specifically uh, only target it and market it for adults, not for daughters your age, Todd, your daughter's ages, Todd, or, or my daughter's ages. So if you agree with this as a reasonable solution to protect the innocence of our children, here's a website you can go to and you can support Victoria's cause. CosmoHurtsKids.com is the website. CosmoHurtsKids, all one word, CosmoHurtsKids.com. We'll come back with our number two. Today's truth bomb is going to come as a question from one of our listeners. And then we'll play buy, sell, or hold. It's always one of the most fun times of the week. That's next right here on The Blaze. All right, we're back here with Hour 2 of The Blaze On Demand and on your television screen. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. A hey, quick question before we get into uh, the meat and potatoes of, of this hour. When was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Particularly this time of year with uh, you know all the different uh, ickies that are going around. And it, if you don't keep up on that, it can make a situation that might just be kind of a minor grievance, but a real problem. I don't know if you realize this or not. We kind of need our ears. And it's, sometimes it's the simplest things, too. I've talked about this before. You know, these little earpieces we have here so that we can hear Ron back in Dallas or Aaron over there in his uh, portion of the universe uh, telling us what's going on. And then we get paranoid and we can't hear one another. And every time it's that nothing is broken, it's just we forgot to clean the wax out. I keep saying this. We need Wax RX here at this studio. So if anybody back at corporate is listening, they need to send some of that here, all right? So if you want to try WaxRx, it's a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup, particularly if you have little kids. I, I remember when our kids were little, man, you felt like you had to uh, create, do, do cruel and unusual punishment to get to hold them down, to get them to agree to have their ears cleaned out, right? So, and then if you didn't do it, then you walked around, you felt like a terrible parent. Then you, if for, you felt like a terrible parent when you did it because it made them upset. Then you felt like a terrible parent when you relented because then you walked around and you, and you were always waiting for someone to say, what's up with all that wax in your kid's ear, right? So, hey, get rid of all that stuff. Use WaxRx. In fact, it's real simple. Just go to the website, usewaxrx.com. That's the website, usewaxrx.com. And when you go there, if you want to give it a shot, Use the promo code radio for free shipping. Use waxrx.com. If you were, I just want to say one thing about how I opened the show today before we get into today's truth bomb, okay? Um, I, I was on my way in to do the show and uh, when, when I'm not doing this, I, I follow news media in general enough to remain informed. When I'm in my free time, I don't sit around listening to other media in this line of work. I, I need to get away from it so that it doesn't consume me. So I, I, I will listen to, you know, theology podcasts, uh, a lot of the sports shows I like to listen to. And I was listening to uh, a, a sports show I really like on my drive in this morning. And they had a local news break. I was listening to it uh, on, on one of those apps and they had a local news break come in and... 
I've, I've heard these local news breaks before talk about reproductive freedom, uh, fetuses, you know, the, the, the typical AP style when it comes to the right to life. Except in this, in this particular newscast, they had a story of a, of a man, a fiend, really, who, in my opinion, um, ought to be strung up. And uh, it is a good argument for uh, bringing back stonings. Uh, he didn't just beat up his girlfriend. He took the extra step, she's pregnant, of stomping on her stomach. And the child did not survive. And in this same newscast with this same female newscaster who in every other context of this kind of story uses all of the Planned Parenthood cliches and talking points. In this case, used this exact phrase, and I quote, when talking about the child's death, physicians attempted to save the unborn child. Unfortunately, the child did not survive. That level of disconnect. I'm sorry, there's a lot of great pro-life organizations. And if you feel compelled when they jump on Twitter or Facebook and say, sign our petition to tell Congress to defund Planned Parenthood, God bless you if you want to do it. I'm just going to tell you right now, though. It has no chance against that. None. I mean... Yeah, that's that's sending a greeting card to hell. Hey, hope you burn less people next year. I mean, burn fewer. I, it, it, you've got no chance against that with that. None. That's triteisms. You're up against annihilistic tactics. Triteisms. Owning the libs. You know, Reddit memes. Not that there's not a time and place for some of those things, because they can be pretty fun, you know? All work and no play makes Steve Todd and Aaron a dull <laughs> All right. But understand that's what it is. It's it's that's the fun. That's like, you know, scrimmage in it practice isn't how you get better. It's all those damn drills you hate doing. That's really how you get good. The scr- you get to the scrimmage and that's where you're kind of like you're running and stuff just as much, but it's more fun because you're actually playing the game you got into this to play. It's all the other stuff that builds up your fundamentals. That's the part that's the real work. So all that stuff that that's fun, but it has no chance against this level of malevolence. And having heard that literally 10 minutes before I walked in today, and then I'd already seen the clip Aaron had played. Uh, and then, you know, I, I, like I said, I watched the screening of, so you understand, man, I'm teed up right now, right? I watched, I had the screening of Unplanned last night, and I'm literally watching abortion procedures take place, literally watching baby remains sucked out of uteruses, all right? So that was my dinner last night. On my way in this morning, I'm listening to this same newscast and this same newscaster who, in every other context, uses every single Planned Parenthood talking point, now suddenly wants to drop unborn child. Um, and then I see that video. I, I, I just, uh, uh, yeah, I think you know where I'm going. I was, uh, I was ready. All right. So, um, that has, uh, that probably had something to do with some of the spitfire you heard there at the top of the show. Let's get to it. Uh, today's truth bomb, my completely contrived attempt to create a segment that gives me an excuse to promote my new book, 
Truth Bombs Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, available at Amazon.com right now. Uh, and we continue to keep getting uh, five-star reviews. Thank you to all of you. Uh, that have written us one. If you'd like to write us one, if you've had a chance to read it, we would appreciate that as well. Those, again, just like they do when you give us those on the podcast, they help us to convince more people they also ought to be bombarded with the truths of this book, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Their Own Demise. Uh, our truth bomb today comes in the form of a question we received from a viewer. And, and normally we would do stuff like this on Feedback Friday, but I think this question is so important that it needs to be answered in the context of of, of a show outside of viewer mail. Lori Jeffries asks, I've watched with interest the accusations hurled at President Trump by those in the progressive left. On what basis, if any, are there claiming he is a racist, a bigot, or a homophobe? Is there any proof of this? I know that proof is irrelevant, but if there is any basis to these claims, I would like to know. But I can't seem to find any. Yeah, sure you want me to answer this question? Not anymore. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, you can't let Joy Behar be more honest than you, so you got to go. Is that the equivalent of, hey, I really need to talk to you after the show, Aaron, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> and you're sitting around, what's that all about, yeah. right? Uh, okay. Um, remember the clip we played from Feedback Friday yesterday? I'm sorry for uh, I did it again for fake news or not. Yesterday. You really want it to be Friday? I do. <laughs> I, I'm uh, the audience probably is like, can it be Friday, please? We need a break. Uh, the clip we played from uh, fake news or not, and is it Steve Cortez? I think is the guy's name, mm-hmm. and he's some Trump political operative, and he's trying to actually engage some guy. Uh, I wanted to call him Curtis Blow, the rapper from when we were kids, but it's Charles, Charles Blow is his name. So he's trying to engage Charles Blow uh, on, on C- CNN, and Anderson Cooper's just sitting back like this. I, maybe he's pontificating the next time he's going to do jello shots on New Year's Eve or something. I don't know. And because uh, that is, is that what he did on the New Year's Eve broadcast this year? Didn't he do some jello? Oh, no, that wasn't him. He was the guy that talked about his mom having sex with Marlon Brando. Oh, he also did shots, too. Did he do shots, too? Okay. So maybe sitting back thinking, boy, I wonder what other Hollywood stars my mom slept with. Meanwhile, Charles Blow's over here calling, uh, dropping racist on this this poor Steve Cortez fellow over and over and over again. And Cortez is here asking for evidence, and and Blow continues to blow. This just continues to, you know, blow his top, right? Did he ever offer any evidence? No, he actually said the evidence is self or the lack of evidence is doesn't matter. Yeah, I just know you. Yeah, yes. And he says, just, and he's like, hey, just own it. Just, you, I don't care if you're a racist. You just, I, it just bothers me you won't own your racism. All right. Do you guys want the answer to this question? Here go, it is. Go, go. Uh, there doesn't have to be any evidence. Bingo was his name. Oh, so yeah. she answered her own question. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't have to be any evidence. Throughout the course of my career and going back to, you know, when I did college Republican activism as a kid, since the, since, the, at the, since the advent of political correctness in the early 1990s, the goal of the, of the American leftist has been to convince the American people, Lori, that people like you and me are racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobes. And if they can therefore dehumanize us and label us in such a way 
they will no longer be required to engage us in the arena of ideas where they have no shot to win. Not because we're smarter than them, but because all of their arguments are dumb. Their arguments are bad. You know, one of the reasons I did two years of appearances on MSNBC, not just not one of them was because I was new in this business and needed to promote my name. The other was um, I, I was I, I wanted to get outside of my bubble. I wanted to see if our arguments were because I wasn't going to go there and do David Gergen. I just can't believe the Republicans are this conservative. No, I'm I'm going to go there and I'm coming from the right. So I wanted to see if what we believe can stand up to. With, with, with they are, where they're coming from, if we get us, because what I didn't do is subject myself to the tribalism, right? So whether it was McCain, Romney, or whoever the Republican of the day was, when they did something dumb, I took no bait or compulsion to tribalistically defend them. So, I did, so if I could get aside from the tribalism, that's my, I got to defend the guy with the R, no matter how dumb I sound, and, and got to my ar- core of my argument, could they, could they defeat it? No. And I'm a hell of a lot better at this than I was five years ago. And I'm not Socrates now. Okay. So again, and it's a Bill and Ted's reference, save your emails. Okay. Thank you. Um, <laughs> Cause I know I was going to get it. I know somebody was going to, yeah, Mr. Dace. Yes. Thank I was you. just thinking you're so dead now. Yes. Okay. <laughs> again, it, it's, it's, we're not smarter. Their arguments are just bad. They're dumb. Because they're, they're unbridled emotion. They are children I want to. When I was a child, I thought, spoke, and reasoned as a child. That's what they do. I, I, wanna, I, I believe I can bend the universe to my whim. That's why it's so easy to dissect their arguments. It's so easy to say, why are you applauding the first female to do blank and then telling us that gender is a construct and shouldn't be uh, conformed or forced to be conformed upon any uh, being. So why are we celebrating the first woman to do blank if gender's irrelevant? Why do I care then? What, 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 what kind of, if gender doesn't matter, then how is this an accomplishment? We can do this with everything. I mean, one of, the, one of their core sayings of postmodernism, uh, everything is relative. Well, that can't be true. Because if everything is relative, well, everything is, 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 is everything a statement of absolutism or relativism, gentlemen? Which it's is relative. It? Yeah, yeah, it's a statement of absolutism, okay? So if it's a statement of absolutism right away, then it therefore can't be relativism because they're the opposite of each other. I mean, this is, this is sixth grade, guys, deductive reasoning, uh, younger than that. The problem is you're dealing with spiritual uh, uh, ingrates. And so there's no logical argument you could make. They don't care. Yesterday we had a situation here in the state of Iowa where we had a, a state judge strike down, which he can't do, but that's the language we like to use, uh, struck down our law that said that uh, any being that has a heartbeat can't be killed. And, and one of the lines in his ruling is that the, the defendant, the pro-life organizations, um, made no compelling case. That was his exact words made no compelling case for why there shouldn't be an abortion, even if there's a heartbeat. <laughs> oh, my god! That judge racked up hundreds of thousands of dollars in student loan debt. Who knows what he scored on his LCAT? Probably really high. Knows a lot more bigger words than you. And yet apparently doesn't know that when an ambulance is called and arrives on the scene, the first thing they check to see for proof of life would be a what? 
What would it be? What's the first thing they check for for proof of life? Compelling evidence? I don't know. <laughs> they check for a heartbeat. And, and if they detect a pulse or a heartbeat, that means the being is alive. And if they don't, that means the chances are the person is dead. Now, you're not smarter than him. He just doesn't care. He wants the world and the universe to be the way he wants. He's shaking his fist at God. He's a God hater. And there is no, there's no, there's no witticism. There's, there's no slicker marketing that will convince the foolish heart that's been darkened, the mind that is depraved and has been given over. You will not logically get them to say, you know, on second thought, you're right. This really sounds dumb. No, I wanna. I wanna. And I will acquire power to get what I want. And if you won't give me what I want, I will take it from you. That's what this is. So how does this relate to this conversation? Well, my entire time, adult time in politics, these leftists have tried to convince Americans that we are, we are oppressors, racists. Mis- you couldn't hold our views and not be these people while never actually attacking the substance of our views because in most cases they can't. What they've needed is an example. See, uh, George W. Bush was a racist too. He didn't. Ha- he hated Hispanic people too. While he was trying, while jo- while he was pissing you people like you and I, you and I off, Lori, trying to convince us to go for amnesty and McCain Kennedy, they were calling him a xenophobe too. Anybody who's the current face of the R, which they see as the home and the hub of American conservatism, is a racist and a xenophobe just by uh, their very presence. John McCain was the was a maverick, getting all mavericky. They loved him. Three seconds after he clinched the 2008 GOP nomination, headline in the New York Times. Uh, he's an adulterer. The guy who ran for president in 2000, uh, going after Jerry Falwell and, and Pat Robertson as, quote, agents of intolerance and saying the Republican Party should not repeal Roe versus Wade and take it out of the platform. Uh, when he got the nomination in 2008, NARAL and Planned Parenthood said he was the most anti-choice nominee the Republicans had ever selected. Just because he's the Republican nominee. Because this is tribalism to them. It's identity politic. And they've identified anything Republican as racist, misogynist, homophobic, xenophobic, bigot. When you respond with, well, some of our best friends are black, they respond with, not enough of your friends are black, so you're still racist. And you're even more racist now for saying, for using your black friends as your ghetto pass. You're even more racist now. When you respond with, well, I went to my friend's gay wedding, you, they're like, well, you didn't become gay yourself. You weren't willing to be sodomized yourself. So uh, you're even more of a homophobe now because you won't participate. They will just move the scale. You cannot please them because their argument has no merit. It's strictly, it's strictly a will to power. Nothing more, nothing less. This isn't an engagement. It's a conquest. You think you're having an argument. You're having a debate. They're having an invasion, (laughs) right? An argument and debate has a back and forth. Maybe even some witty repartee. Conquest have, you will be made to care. And I wanna. And I have more power than you. So, sucks to be you. So all these years, they've been waiting for an example. Somebody who would play to the stereotype they want to label America, the rest of us as. 
along comes Donald Trump with grab him by the hoo-ha. Hates women, we told you. They told you all these years they hate women. Now, I know we told America not to impeach the president who was actually grabbing them by the hoo-ha. But again, being part of the cult means never having to say you're sorry. All right. So we caught the video of him saying, and he said it to a Bush at the same time. And we told you, we warned you about that Bush family. We told you they were terrible people. There's Billy Bush. You let him in. He's the cool Bush. He's just as he hates women, just like the rest of them. See how he laughed? See how he laughed when, when Trump said, grab him by the hoo-ha. They hate women. We told, and the evangelicals hate women too. Handmaid's Tale. We told you. We told you. Trump drops uh, stupidly for all the reasons to attack the judge going after him, chooses the one most incendiary way to attack him by calling him, remember this, the quote, one Mexican judge, the one Mexican judge who actually went to jail in an effort to take down drug lords. It's just an idiotic, dumb, stupid, stupid, beyond dumb. And tease him up for it again. Oh, we told him he hates Hispanics, hates, can't stand him. We told him, one Mexican judge. And on we go. And so they got him the nomination with the goal of two things. They gave him 60 times more coverage than anybody else during the primary. And the goal was to do two things. One was to anoint the candidate that Hillary had the best shot of winning. And then, and, and then the second was that once they got him the nomination, they would then label, they finally would be able to label all of us as him. Because while George W. Bush had plenty of ideological faults, He's just too much class and a gentleman to play to their stereotypes this way. So it didn't work. It didn't work. Same thing with Mitt Romney. He's got a team. He's got, well, I would trade George W. Bush's ideological problems for Mitt Romney's every day and twice on Sunday. All right. But again, on a human level, too much class in his personal life. They can't do it. But this guy, especially with that Twitter account where he has diarrhea of the mouth, this guy, and he's talking about Megyn Kelly bleeding from her, you know, whatever's, all right? They, he's just teeing it up for him, right? Mocking disabled reporters, he's teeing it up for him right away. And they use him to say, see, this is, we've been telling you this since 1991, and now it's finally true. And now we have Bernie Sanders saying Trump's a racist. So by virtue, 65 million Americans voted who into the White House? A racist, which by implication means you're all what? Racists. Racist. This has been the mission, to avoid ever having to argue with you on the merits of any value or point or ideology and instead just label you as the other so they can then just step on your neck instead. So let me ask again. Are you sure you want me to answer this question? Now that you know the answer, Aaron, are you glad that I answered this question? Yep. You play whack-a-mole with hell, you're always going to lose. Todd, your thoughts? Well, the only way, just resetting, the only way to deal with this, to be able to answer those questions in an accurate way that then allows you to have a shot in the future at dealing with it is to have a much higher standard than the game that they want to force you to play. Mm -hmm. You must be not afraid to simply say what needs to be said, do what needs to be done, and leave the outcomes 
for God. Uh, I, they are going to put every label imaginable around your neck, regardless of the evidence of your life, to the contrary. And as Gandalf said, all uh, we have to do is to live the life that has been given to us. That Here we live. Right now, one of our biggest problems is we deny that that is how bad it is. Somehow, going to find a way to deny that New York City, the skyline, is being lit up to celebrate the murder of innocence because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Boca. I, that's, that's the mirage. It is a mirage that I will share in this weekend when I go uh, watch my daughters play soccer. But it, it's, th- that, can't, that cannot be the thing that overcomes um, the reality of the situation because at the end of the day, you will be asked, what did you do? How did you testify? And right now, uh, there there just isn't any. The level of excuse-making, misdirection, and using, and Steve has cautioned about this over and over again, and the, using the tools of the opposition, the dark side, and embracing them as our own. It, it's, 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 a, it's a road to nowhere. It's an utter road to nowhere. And we just don't have much time left if we have any left at all to come correct. Can I put a finer point on what I meant by that? Because I I don't think anybody got that. Um, When you play whack-a-mole with hell, you're always going to lose. Hell wants you to play a game with them. Uh, The left wants you to play a game with them. Um, They want you to respond to their charges of you being a misogynist. And you say, no, I'm not a misogynist. Well, then you're a racist. Well, no, I'm not a racist. Here, look what I did. Well, then you're a homophobe. No, I'm not a homophobe. I just married a dude. Um, No, now you're a xenophobe. Never play that game. They want you to play the game on their terms, on their words, using their terminology all of the time. Reject that altogether. We have seen too many examples. Uh, The most recent one was Nick Sandman yesterday, and we brought that up earlier in the show, of no, um, he's trying to hit that whack-a-mole. You're going to the same media that just was crucifying you two two days ago. Yes. Don't play the game. That's exactly right. you know, so so now we're, so let, let's normalize. Um, uh, you know, I uh, daily gender reassignment surgeries reversals uh, with polka dot sequins, uh, and that's the new morality. I know what we should do next year. We're gonna have one of those guys speak at CPAC and show that you know conservatives aren't against yep. daily daily deballings with with glittery sequins. We're not haters. Now, that's a ridiculous absurdity to prove a point of exactly what we have tried to do in every other one of these contexts. Whose premise of the argument is being asserted? Exactly. Theirs. Every time. Always. Every Always. single time. Every single time. You cannot win the game. You lose by playing this game. I watch people on Facebook, good God-fearing people who love America, put out me. Trump's not a racist. Look at all the black people we hired. How do you know those people are good? They might suck at their job. Do you know? They're good because they're black? They're good because Trump hired them? I mean, we've seen Trump fire people, plenty of them. I would assume he fired them because they were bad. Are we now saying he's firing good people? Do we believe in merit or not? 
Now, there's a way to message that. One way to message that is to say, um, when, when we value meritocracy and see people for the skills and gifts God gave them, and judge them by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. Look at the results. Look at the increased diversity that results. Now, now whose premise is being asserted? Yours. Yours. Yeah. But when you jump to, ah, oh, Trump's got uh, 42% approval among Latinos in the Rasmussen poll. So build a wall and we're not xenophobe. You know who laughs? Because I've been in the newsroom, so I'll tell you who laughs. Every flunky at MSNBC laughs. They're laughing at you because you're playing their game. You're never going to win because it's their game. And they'll just move the rules. As Aaron said, it's whack-a-mole. They just, they just change the rules on you. It doesn't matter. I mean, look at the clip we played yesterday of, of, of Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, Jake Tapper's like, well, if Trump's views on immigration now are racist... Here's evidence that you had these exact views just a few years ago. So were you a racist then? No, I wasn't a racist then. I just lacked empathy. I had to learn. Well, why is Trump a racist now? Well, let me tell you what the answer is, because his name's Donald Trump. And if his name were Donald Trump with an D after his name, he wouldn't be a racist. He's just a Donald Trump with an R after his name. So he be. So he is. And on and on it goes. Uh, yeah, we're going to have a, a transgendered Sharia law believing, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a dude who has babies uh, as head of the current Republican Party to show we be not haters. Hey, congrats, man. Just handed, handed Nancy Pelosi the speaker's gavel again. So that's that's you can't you can't win their game. They set it up for this. Here are the here are we've told you before what the rules of the Republican Party are. Here's the rules of the American left. Okay. Heads they win, tails you lose. Those are their rules. So I've been uh, talking recently about uh, the latest thing Brickhouse Nutrition wants to introduce to our audience. And Brickhouse Nutrition is this team of physicians uh, that believes in uh, in natural health, natural supplements, uh, and, and trying to put back into our our daily lives a, a lot of the, the the stuff you know that, that God intended for us to eat, but is kind of taken out with the, today's uh, modern food processing techniques. And I've been talking about uh, the latest product we've been promoting of theirs, Dawn from Dawn to Dusk. The uh, natural energy supplement doesn't have 7,000 ingredients with 6,099 of them you can't pronounce. Uh, and uh, yesterday, no, it was two days ago. Man, I just started crashing. I was just beat tired. Keep burning the candle at both ends. I pop one of these things in. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm really impressed. I mean, I am, I am really impressed. And here's the thing too. You know, uh, they tell you not to take one before six hours. Uh, if you plan on going to bed, I took one middle of the afternoon, did the math in my head. Yeah, I'm probably not going to bed till like 10, 11 o'clock. Bedtime came around, no jitters, nothing, no come down. I mean, I slept like a baby. So I, I would highly recommend this rather than, you know, putting chemicals and other things in your body that are not natural. 
do it the natural way. And Brickhouse Nutrition can help you do that with From Dawn to Dusk. If you want to give it a shot, I'd recommend it. I use it too. 15% off your first order at BrickhouseSteve.com if you use my name, Steve, as a promo code. All right, so you order it at BrickhouseSteve.com. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code. They'll give you 15% off of that first order from Brickhouse Nutrition. Again, it's called From Dawn to Dusk. All right, let's get to it. It's this week's edition of Buy, Sell, or Hold. Holy cow, we have a graphic for this now. Totally forgot about that, but yeah, they made us one a long time ago. <laughs> but see, we did we when the show launched. Yeah, basically, we didn't uh, we didn't we we didn't do the show on uh, TV or the buy sell hold on TV, so we really right. couldn't use it. Right, but this used to be a staple on the old radio podcast yeah. exclusively. Yeah. Right, all right. So each week, Aaron, usually with the help, if not the uh, exclusive. Uh, uh, use of our audience uh, puts out a series of propositions or predictions. Todd and I are then asked, are we buying that one? Are we selling that one? We might even have a good reason why we answered one way or the other. Once per week, we are permitted to put a hold. And if we do it for any reason other than your proposition sucks, then we are admitting we suck. And the dude code calls for us to be mercilessly mocked for refusing to take a stand when called upon. Aaron, you're up. Alrighty, let's get through the listener submissions uh, fairly quickly. Uh, Ryan says, Steve's new book will sell one million bucks before shovels hit dirt for the wall. Sell. I, I, here's why I'm going to sell. I have to believe. And I don't mean this, you know, like I needed to believe that the Chris Christie thing was real belief. I don't mean it like that. This is a sincere I need to believe. Well, so is that, but for a different reason. I have to believe a man, and I know we like to talk about his daddy gave him a loan to get him started and everything else. I don't care how you slice it, man. Turn it in, whether it was $1 million or $3 million, it's varying reports. But turn in that loan into the multi-billion dollar empire it has become is damned impressive. And I have to believe Lando Calrissian can't do that, if you want to get the reference I'm making. I mean, I, I got to believe it takes a certain type of man to pull that off. And it requires a certain kind of instinct. And I have to believe he understands this. Even if I'm not convinced he didn't understand it when he went into this, and maybe was just reacting to criticism from his base. But as time has gone on, the fact that we're heading into one month of this now indicates that... He's had plenty of opportunities to cave on this so far. I have to believe he understands on some level he must get a win here. And I'm basing that not off of anything other than the success he's had with showdowns and negotiations just like this in other aspects of his life. I think he understands he needs a trophy, so I'm going to sell. Uh, I'm going to buy. I, I saw Obamacare happen. I, I, and I, I agree in theory with everything you said, uh, I, but I have, uh, I, I'm just a damn fool if I go to put my money down on black and spin that wheel again and hope for a result that's never come uh, in any real way before. And I include uh, the judges in that. Uh, just, uh, I, I need to see this with my own eyes. And if that makes me doubting Thomas, so be it. But it, come on, it, it's on you, Trump. It's on you. 
Uh, next one. This is from Ken Haidt. Uh, there is a faction within the Republican Party that is all too happy to sit idly by and watch the attempted purging of Christianity. And that faction is much larger than most are willing to admit. Bye. I'm on both accounts. Bye. Bye. Is he just plagiarizing your book? Yep. Bye. In both contexts. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Tony Mercer says everyone who loves show should be uh, snow should be deported to Canada where they belong. <laughs> Sell, Sell. Tony. Come on now. Come on, man. I don't like snow when it's, you know, April. I don't enjoy it now, but I don't hate it. I love snow from, from the day after Thanksgiving till January 2nd. And then yep. I hate it with the heat of a thousand suns. No. Oh, you're already in hate mode? Oh, yeah, as soon as the well, holidays I'm, are over, I'm out. I'm I'm ready for spring. Like I'd be like, fine. I'd literally be fine New if we years. got well, seven. I'd be fine if we got three feet of snow for five weeks. I got an easy answer for the whole for year. You. I got an easy year. You, you, you're, you're, Texas, your your holiday calendar is flexible enough. You said you think Christmas starts on November first. Just expand Christmas to January 31. You'll be good, brother. <laughs> I'm good with snow up until, like, New Year's Eve, and then I'm ready for spring, but I, it's not like I just hate it. Uh, Nick says, a candidate for 2020 Democratic presidential nomination will use the phrase separation of church and state as a reasoning for his or her opposition to a Christian nominee for a judicial cabinet-level appointment. So they don't even need to use that anymore. Dude, I've – again, I need to apologize to your parents. I'm sorry what I did to your son. <laughs> I was literally about to open my mouth and say that. I just want your parents to know that gleam that used to be in your young son's, uh, Aaron's eye, that that devilish, devilishly roguish, handsome veneer that is now gone and replaced with a deep embedded cynicism for all things. That, by the way, is 100% accurate. <laughs> by the way, I don't live at home anymore, so they're like, so they even notice the change all the more when you don't come around as much and like, you're a lot different, right? Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. and Mrs. McIntyre, I apologize. But your son is correct. At least at the very least, he opened his mouth and said exactly what I was going to say before I ever said it. They, they stopped using that argument in like 2002. Yeah, we're well past this. Now Now it's burn, witch, burn. I mean, now know. it's the state is the church. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's the church, the church, the church is on fire. We don't care. Let the, you know what, burn. That's where, that's what they're chanting now. So sell. Yep. All right. Uh, Matthew Shoon says the government opens for two weeks, then shuts back down. This repeats at least six more times over the next year so that neither side has to give in on the wall amendment. Uh, federal employees still sort of kind of get paid. I'm going to buy on the basis that I see your work, how you're working, yeah. Matthew. I see you're, you're thinking it through. How do, they, how do they get out of this? Because the political solution typically is, how do we come up with something where nobody wins anything or loses anything? And by nobody wins anything, that means people like you and me. <laughs> That's what that means. <laughs> All right. Uh, and one way to do that is just to keep having these temporary gives and gets. And we go through this over and over again, and they can both use their fake talking points. While I do not believe that will be the ultimate outcome, I, I, want, I want to honor the fact that you are showing an impressive level of discernment there, Matthew. So I'm going to buy. Well, that's already going on. Right now, I've got some inf side information along those lines, and you know, people have been 
furloughed. You need to go away for now, but now we need to keep the trains running on time for this window here. So come back in and then they might be sent out to pasture again. It's already going on. You mean with like people, you know, who like work. Yeah, correct. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, here it is. We haven't done one of these for a while. We're going to do the top 25 songs. Oh, no. Of the 1990s, according to this will suck. Rolling Stone. Has this, no chance. This okay. has been a pretty heavy week. I don't, can the audience? Can, can, it's just Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just Wednesday, and uh, now we're going to crush them with Rolling Stone's terrible musical taste at the same time. I'm talking yep. about crushing you. Yeah. Are you? Do you have? Oh. Do you have the resolve to go through this? We're going to find out. <laughs> um, so you know how this goes. You buy if you generally agree where a song is on the list. You sell if you don't agree at all. Okay. Uh, we're going to start with number 25, Harvey Danger, Flagpole Sitta. What? Never heard of that song before. I've heard. I remember. This is the nineties. Yeah. Harvey Nineteen ninety. I've known. Nineteen ninety eight. Do you know what? Do you know what it is? No. Oh, he, he doesn't even know what it. Is. Yeah, we're gonna break him. Awesome. Now let's do this. <laughs> let's. So, so I take that to sell. I'm, I'm selling Western civilization. Yes. Actually, not just not just this list. Um, number twenty. So you're both selling on that. Yes. Um, number twenty four. Alia. Is that how you say it? Are you that somebody? You've never heard of that. <laughs> Yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't. We are. We're not just O for two, guys. We are O for eternity. Yes, we're like not even <laughs> this. It, we're like on Earth fourteen. This isn't even our. This isn't even our part of the multiverse right now. No. Okay, both both selling. <laughs> uh, number twenty three, Oasis, Wonderwall. Do you guys like or do dislike that song? That's a great song. I I think so too. But um, pe- people seem to get tired. I, of I'm that. gonna buy. Because I don't know what's the ahead bar of it yet. Has been so low so far, <laughs> and that too. Although I would actually argue "Champagne Supernova" is the better song, but this is uh, can, this is their magnum opus, mm. so I'm fine with it. I, I don't. Yeah, I'm. I don't really dig that song, but I I don't have any malice or hatred, and I can't even remember or know the other two songs. So yeah, come on in the pool. All right, twenty two. Mob Deep shook ones part two. <laughs> At what point is it permissible to begin cutting myself? <laughs> what? Is this like one of those things where you just tweet out like beeps and boops and words in chaotic order? Next Aaron? song, Big Daddy Kane, Pimpin' Ain't Easy. What? Uh, number 21, Smashing Pumpkins, 1979. Uh, great song. Great song, yeah. Great album. It should not have been two albums. Like most double albums, it's a mediocre double album that would have been great. We're talking about Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. It's a great double album, or, or it's a mediocre double album that would have been an all-time great single album. I think I think uh, Today is a better song. I think Cherub Rock's a better song. I think, uh, I definitely think uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings is the better song. But that in and of itself is a great song. And because of how low my expectations for this list are right now, I will affirm it. I know you, you can't dare like cast these things. Uh, you got to treat them like uh, precious pearls. Yeah, I'll yes. buy. All right. We got to go through the rest of these really, really fast. Right. Right, number 20, Beck, loser. Uh, sell. It sell. should be it should like be in higher. the top yeah. five of the list. Yep. Yes. Yep. I'll, I'll buy. Number 19, Whitney Houston featuring uh, Faith Evans and Kelly Price, Heartbreak Hotel. Uh, number 19. Sell on Humanity. I have okay. no memory of it. So. Yes. Number 18, Garbage, Queer. Uh, yes. 
Okay. They, yeah, stupid girl. They chose the wrong one. Sell. Okay. They should have done stupid girl or I'm only uh, I'm only happy when it rains. That's another great garbage song. Yeah. Uh, they chose the wrong one. It's so. clear I became old in the '90s because yeah. I can't remember these songs. Yeah. I can't believe I'm pulling some of these. I haven't heard these in years. Okay. Uh, number seventeen, Beastie Boys, Sure Shot. Shot. Uh, wrong Beastie Boys sure song. Shot? So, sure Shot. Yeah. Wrong, wrong Beastie Boys song. Yeah. So. Never no. heard of that song. Uh, 16, Sleater Kenny, uh, Get Up. So. Okay. Never yeah. heard of this? No. Yeah. Number 15, Outcast, Rosa Parks. So. Yeah, moving on. Number 14, R.E.M. We're insane in the membrane right yeah. now. Uh, number 14, R.E.M. I see what you did there. Uh, 14 is R.E.M. Night Swimming. Oh, um, that's n- sell no. Rolling Stone magazine. No, number thirteen, dirty old. I'm not sure if I can say that word on the air. Don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's Brooklyn Zoo. No, no. Okay, like Bone Thugs and Harmony was a lot better. No. I'm just not going to talk until I understand something that's going on. Number twelve. I'm talking in a different language over here. Uh, number twelve, the Breeders Cannonball. You use that. You use that as a. Yeah. As a bumper. It's not the time. 12th best song of an entire decade, though. No. Uh, number 11, whole uh, doll parts. <laughs> That's Courtney. Uh, uh, Courtney Love. Yeah, her yeah. band. No. Number, it's a good song, yeah. but no. Number 10, TLC, no scrubs. I, I, You know what? It's a great song, and I have to buy something just, to, you know, out of depression. So sure, I'll buy. Okay. I don't recognize any of the rest of this. The song. That's on a this bad list. side. That's yeah. a terrible side. Number nine is Liz Fair. No. Um. No. No. Bad no. word and run. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. And bleep. No. No. Uh. Boy, things really went off the rails in the nineties. Number eight, Pulp. Common people. There's so much great music. This was a great musical decade, actually, and yeah. they're blowing it. No. Yeah. Number seven, uh, Missy Misdemeanor, Elliot, The Rain, Super Duper Fly. So. Number six, pavement, gold sounds with a Z. Sell. Okay. Number five, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Nothing but a uh, G, a G, G thing. thing. Yeah. Uh, Octung Baby came out in this decade. For I know. Sakes. Maybe maybe yeah. the greatest. I would put it in, in, on list of some of the, one of the greatest rock albums of all time. Uh, uh, I'll buy it just because by comparison, it's so much better than almost everything else you've mentioned. Yeah. Uh, number four, Bikini Kill, Rebel Girl. No. Okay. So. Uh, number three, Notorious B.I.G. with Mace and Puff Daddy, Mo Money, Mo Problems. I'll buy that. Okay. Yeah. I love when you call me Big Papa. Yeah. And you do that every now and then. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, number two, <laughs> No Diggity. You got to back that up? No. Okay. So. Yeah, and number so. one, Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit. Most overrated song of all time. Not even the best song on that album. So you're saying this is a good list? Uh, yes. I'm saying there's not a chance yeah. is what I'm saying. It's okay. not even – it's uh, – it's not even the best song on that album. You can't even. Yeah. You can't even with this I, list. I, I just, wow. Rolling Stone needs to not delete a single, its account. I never thought I'd say this. There's not a single Pearl Jam song that made the list. Not a single Pearl Jam song. Not a single U2 song made the list. Really? Weird. Not a single Offspring song? I could make an argument. There should be like three Offspring songs in that list, actually. I, I mean, I just, Okay. We're at the point now that the the pagans can't even get their they own. They can't even get their own music. Right. We're, yeah. we're even better at judging their music now than they are. That's pretty sad. Really. All right, let's find out what we learned here today. Brought to you by our good friends over at Home Title Lock. Again, don't 
let your most valuable investment go to waste. Don't let thieves steal your home title and liquidate your equity that you've earned that belongs to you. That's the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have. You can, for just pennies a day, put a virtual barrier around your home's title with the help of our friends at Home Title Lock. And today, if you are a Blaze viewer, uh, listener, you're part of our family here at the Blaze, you go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. They will give you a free title scan and report just to see how safe and sound is your home's title. Has anybody tried to access it already? They can tell you that for free. Normally, they charge a hundred bucks for that uh, for that analysis, but they'll give it to you as part of our family here at the Blaze. They'll give it to you for free at HomeTitleLock.com. All right, men, what did we learn here today? Final thoughts? What say you? I think a good reminder is if uh, I mean we're repeatedly, especially with the video at the very top of the show, repeatedly staring now into the mouth of hell. I mean, it seemed like for a while we're creeping up to the. To the precipice, we are now staring uh, into that, and it can feel sometimes um, like uh, the the weight of culture and saving culture is on your shoulders. If you really care about this country and you care about your kids and grandkids' generation, um, I think we're doing ourselves a disservice and we're misplacing where our responsibility really lies when we get to the point where we take that upon ourselves. It's not our job. Our job is to testify to the truth, to spread the gospel. And it is the Lord's job to either judge and carry out that judgment or to spare and revive our country. We cannot do this by ourselves. True revival means we know the source of that revival. We have to remind ourselves of that on days like today. Otherwise, we are going to get depressed and, you know, seriously depressed. I don't say that flippantly. We will get ourselves into a place that is not spiritually uh, conducive. Stephen, talking about the answers today that aren't going to be enough to meet the evil before us, it came to my attention that maybe after the Bible study, we need to sit down and define the transcendentals. What is faith? What is hope? And what is love? Very well said, both of you. We are back at it again tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. Oh, 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 oh,